This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. It's Wednesday, so it must be PMQ's Unpacked coming up. We pause the action live from the House of Commons to analyse the key exchanges between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. We've not had it for a couple of weeks, so it's nice to have that back. But first, of course, we kick off with our columnist panel. It's Crampon. That's Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. Let's talk, first of all, about borders and why it seems to be, even in the all-new, rebooted uh, Boris Johnson that we've seen in 2021, borders still seems to be the blind spot. We've had lots more caution, you know, tougher lockdown, slow and steady, setting data, not dates, and all of that sort of stuff. And yet borders still seem to be the problem, whether it's letting the Indian variant in, uh, letting the Indian variant in, or... (laughs) some confusion on whether or not tourists could be let out of Britain. Why are we so bad on borders, do you think, Robert? I don't know, but the, the confusion is, uh, is, is extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, they've got ministers saying, some ministers saying it's OK to go anywhere. Some saying you can go and see friends in the, on the amber list. Some saying you can't, you shouldn't go. Bethel saying don't go anywhere at all. Uh I don't know why we're so bad on borders. Is it Boris's sort of vestigial libertarian instincts? Uh, is it? It struck me that maybe they didn't. They thought it was a bad look so soon after Brexit to shut the country down, and therefore maybe they were a bit too relaxed for that reason. Uh, I guess the variants were always going to get here anyway, but the outward travel is is bizarre. Uh, no one can. People saying three different things on the same day. It does seem very odd, because, yeah, you'd have thought it, it, in the ministerial WhatsApp group, you just put a message yes. in there yesterday morning <laughs> to make quite clear, don't go abroad unless you really have to, is the message. Uh, but then part of me thinks, Alice, is, is this another example of journalists getting giddy about something? I was looking at the polling this morning that you uh, you have asked a couple of days ago, have you booked a holiday and where are you going? 8% of people have booked a, a, a foreign holiday. So well, it's, Actually, it's lower, isn't it? Something like 5%. I mean, that's what's extraordinary to me is that... Only 5% have booked a holiday abroad yet. And then another few have done it in Britain. But people are really waiting, aren't they, now? They now know that this government changed its mind every five seconds. Um, so actually, it is an argument among a very few people about whether or not they are going to go um, to Spain or Portugal or Greece. And if you've got children, it's very difficult because they haven't been inoculated. So 
you know, we're only really talking about people here who are over 38 who are mm. thinking about it. So it's, it is so complicated. And I, do, I just think that, you know, this, the traffic light system, Amber's always a problem anywhere on traffic lights, isn't it? It's like, oh, should I go across? Should I not go across? And now I think we maybe just get rid of Amber, don't we? We just like say, right, we're going to have red and green. You either go or you don't go because quite honestly, we're all dithering and someone's going to get run over. So I, I kind of do think that we should, we should be more clear about it. It also worries me because you just can't believe that half of them aren't going to book a holiday and go abroad. Um, and actually, you know, people do deserve their holiday. You know, the problem also, is... But also, they're behaving as if the vaccination uh, rollout has not taken place. I mean, it, it seems to me that if you've been doubly vaccinated then you should, I can't quite understand why that doesn't serve as a, uh, as, as a reason that you can go pretty much where you want. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're, not, they're not making any distinction between people who have been vaccinated and people who haven't. And I think the other thing we have is a real problem is this sense that, you know, we knew that India was a problem. We saw that India was a problem. I mean, we can blame the press for a lot, but the press did say that, you know, India was being absolutely swamped by the virus and yet 20,000 people carried on coming into Britain so there's this complication isn't there when people are going okay so if that's fine if we don't go on holiday but then why do we keep having more and more people in and also if we're really worried about mixing we need to get more people into the airports and checking the passports because we have you know six hour queues when you've got red orange green all mixing together you know you don't wear the color you don't know who you're standing next to do you, you don't go oh god which are you um, it, it makes it very, very difficult because you realise how much it has mixed. And I think that is the problem with the Indian variant is you, that you look at it and think, God, they didn't really make an effort to stop it. I mean, it, it probably would have come in anyway, but there was no concerted well, route to, to, to stop, you know, close down the country in that way. And the way that Australia did, they just didn't let anyone come from India at all, did they? And, and it was the same a year ago with, with uh, when Italy was way ahead of us and there were still lots of flights arriving from Milan and Rome. And... Uh, Prior to that, lots of flights arriving from China, weren't they? Yeah, mm. and I think that uh, it's one of those things. I suppose that when they say shut the borders, in, in in reality, then there was sort of you know they end up making exceptions that you know maybe there is some business travel, essential business travel. You know, then people say, well, of course, if you're going to a funeral, then that's uh, mm. you know that should be allowed. And well, maybe you know maybe well, if someone is ill, then that should be allowed. And then suddenly, or if, you, or if your dad wants to go and check on his holiday home in Greece, yeah. well, precisely, yeah, exactly. yes, you, have to, you have to sell your second home or in, in France yeah. or whatever it might be. Um, uh, and there's also this complication of, of whether the uh, decision to uh, shut the border for, to India was uh, delayed because at that point, Boris Johnson still thought he was going to go. Yeah. Why on earth he thought he was still going to be able to get there to go on a trade deal? I don't know. Given it, he wanted that photo op, didn't he? It's a problem with Modi that you know yeah. he's trying to have. As we've seen with Australia at the moment, what they're trying to do at the same times being obsessed by the vaccine and about the rollout and about the virus, they're also trying to get a trade deal up post-Brexit. So they need to have countries like India on board. And so, of course, it's going to be a trade-off, but it's a trade-off that could involve life for the problem. And what do you think the long-term impact will be in terms of sort of attitudes to immigration and borders and that sort of thing? Do you think we will end up being more... I mean, obviously, post-Brexit, this was supposed to be one of the upsides of Brexit, was controlling who couldn't come in. But do you, do you think we will end up being, being a more insular country, Alice? I hope not. I mean, I th- actually, funny, I did my column today on um, birth control and how many uh, babies were being born in Britain. And we really need more people in Britain. So we've lost 1.3 million people who went home during the coronavirus. And many of those, they think, won't come back. 
And Britain doesn't want to end up being a very elderly population with no young. So we need people to come. We need that international travel, as does Japan, as does even China, which has got a real problem with their population rate. We're going to need more people coming around the world. We're going to need more immigration in the end. And we're going to have to get used to that again, I think. Yeah, no, I was interested in, in I suppose it's interesting how that you make that connection. Your column, um, I thought, was it was one of those things I hadn't totally appreciated because for so long the conversation, oh, we're full, we can't take any more people. And actually you're saying that we, we do, we need more people. And if, if people aren't going to come here, we need to, we need to create our own people. Well, I mean, that's the problem that we were not creating our own people. So there's been a huge dearth of babies. And at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of jokes and we all assumed that everyone with nothing to do was going to have a huge amount of sex. It doesn't seem to have happened. <laughs> uh, and they're definitely not having any babies. So it's extraordinary that. And I think, yeah, we, we had the time to do it. It wasn't like everyone was shattered and exhausted um, in some ways. Um, and it just seemed that no one had the inclination to do it. And I think they were nervous. But you look at the countries around the world who didn't have babies, and it is the ones that had the highest death rates who were most nervous, who were most worried. It wasn't the ones with the biggest lockdowns, oddly. It was definitely the ones that were most frightened about the pandemic. And I think that's because you didn't mm. want to bring a child into the world when you didn't know what the future was going to be like. I mean, there is something for saying that, you know, if it's spending every waking moment with your other half in the in the house probably not, <laughs> <laughs> probably not the it perfect seems, backdrop to um uh, no it seems to have acted as a as a contraceptive rather than a... <laughs> <laughs> i mean but, but at least princess beatrice is doing her bit she's announced she's expecting yeah. a baby in the autumn maybe this well, maybe yeah, this is how minister, the prime minister's pitching in isn't he prime minister's con i mean yeah. if there's one thing no one can accuse him of not pulling his weight in that regard no <laughs> well, maybe this is how we can solve two problems. What is how we bolster support for the royal family by turning them into just a, a, a baby machine? Yes. <laughs> how many? I mean, that, it's, how many more do we need, Alice? Or the, when you well, at the moment, the well, we are we are really lagging. So, I mean, the, the problem is that you need two point one each uh, woman to have two point one children to actually just stay at the same level. At the moment, it's dropping to sort of one point three, which is pretty bad. Um, and I think, I mean, Italy have always had this problem for the last 20 years. So they've been trying to find ways mm. to boost their fertility rates. Um, and I think also, I mean, if you look at, actually, if you look at the Netherlands, they've been very good on it. But it, a lot of it's down to things like childcare, which, as we know, Boris Johnson's quite worried about. But, you know, it is very, very expensive in this country. And I think that's what we've got to look at is more flexibility, particularly after the coronavirus, where women have been stuck at home doing more as we know now, of, of the childcare and the domestic work, we're going to have to get them out and make them feel that if they, you know, if they start having children, that they're not going to be stuck at home forever. And we might need we might need more rather than less immigration, mightn't we? I mean, that's the simple solution. Yeah. If your birth rate's going down, then you encourage immigration. I mean, this yeah. is, it ties into everything else. I mean, I just re re uh, wrote a leader the other day about the, the uh, art sector, the museums, and they, I mean, they're almost in, in London and, and big cities. They're almost entirely reliant on foreign tourists. Uh, and we're facing a situation there where, you know, St. Paul's Cathedral says it might have to close because it's, it, it, people just aren't coming. So it's a, these things are all interconnected. I'm not sure how I can tie it into Australian beef, but that St. Paul's story, I did think, uh, I, I think I might have even tweeted, if St. Paul's Cathedral shuts, I'll eat my hat. Um, uh, well, I mean, the, now that the Church of England's down to just its last eight billion pounds of investments. I know, you do think, well, you can sell off a bit of your acreage or whatever, but uh, it, 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 what it highlighted for me was the extent to which it, foreign tourism is actually such a, a huge factor compared yeah. to domestic tourism. I mean, we, it's like, you know, you live in London, you don't really go 
you know, you don't go to museums and galleries. It's it's you only go when friends from outside of London come. <laughs> take them. Yeah. And I suppose uh, it's true of so many sectors, you know, when you hear about how, uh, you know, pubs and restaurants are struggling to find staff because lots yeah. of EU yeah. uh, workers uh, went home with the pandemic and haven't come back. Uh, you know, universities. Care workers. I mean, that's going to be the biggest problem is that you're going to have the whole care industry, which is already on its knees and is having a really difficult time and bore the brunt of the whole COVID you know, disaster. They haven't got enough people there now because you know, their staff largely came from abroad. And, you know, a lot yeah. of the NHS was made up from people from abroad. So we, we are going to have to start thinking about this. Let's close all our borders and we don't like immigrants. And Pretty Patel, you know, they, they do trade the government off, you know, this slightly xenophobic mm. nervousness. And I, I think, first, I don't think voters do feel like that. And secondly, I think we're going to have a problem down further down the line if we don't have any immigrants coming in. Well, they felt like it in 2015. That was a problem. Yeah. But then it's really interesting. Concern about immigration collapsed uh, in the polls yeah. straight after the referendum, even though actually yeah. net migration carried on going up, I think, from, from yeah. memory. It's come down since then, obviously, because of... Um, uh, everything that's uh, that's happened, but it, we, it, we, we, the way to tie it into agriculture, I've just thought, is that a lot of our uh, <laughs> agricultural workers are foreign labourers, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, and and, and um, yeah, farmers rely on uh, foreign labourers, and then uh, yeah. Um, and, and then also, actually, not necessarily with this one with Australia, but I know certainly the idea of doing a trade deal with India, one of India's big demands. This is, God, everything does all join up, doesn't it? One of India's big demands has been uh, to allow more people from India to come to Britain. That's been, you know... Yeah. A, um... And the students to come. So they didn't, you know, the students do, the Indian students want to come here and study. And I think we've been very difficult about letting them come or letting them stay for a bit afterwards, which seems mad because actually it's a fantastic opportunity to have people from all around the world being educated in Britain. So I think well, yeah, you want them. It's a big export. It's a big um, money earner, isn't it? Education mm. generally, both private schools and universities. And it's both, and they both struggled in the last year or so. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson there. You can read them both in the Times every week. Alice in the paper on Wednesdays. Robert in the magazine on Saturdays. Just get yourself a Times subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. 
Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, it's that time midweek on a Wednesday where we prepare for PMQ's Unpacked. Tim Shipman is here in the studio. What do you think might come up, Tim? Well, I rather suspect we're going to hear something about ministerial confusion over travel. And the word shambles is a good one, but I can think of another word beginning with sh, which uh, most people in Westminster are describing the total inability of anyone in the Cabinet to stay on the same page on this subject for more than two minutes. And Keir Starmer has also, over the previous months, made a big play of going after Boris Johnson for not shutting the borders in time. And there's a lot of people saying, well, he should have shut the border to India much quicker than he has done. What's going on with that? So those are two wide open goals and it's a strange old world isn't it because a week ago Boris Johnson would have been sitting here expecting to make a load of jokes about triumphing in the in the local elections and a week on Covid has come back to bite him. Yeah and uh, Keir Starmer you know a week ago was in the pickle after his botched reshuffle and so on and, and now he seems to be uh, but not not you know it's slightly putting that uh, putting that behind him. Um, do you think th- this will... I do wonder about this confusion thing. If most people aren't trying to go on holiday... I mean, obviously, it would be better if ministers were on the same page. But if uh, YouGov poll shows 8% of people have booked a foreign holiday, most people aren't actually anticipating going anywhere. So does it really matter if we're having an argument about amber versus red? Well, I think it's just that whole issue of competence, isn't it? Um, and, you know, the government looked like it had got on top of things and the vaccine looked like it had made them... Um, triumphant in terms of COVID, and now it looks very much like they, you know, they they may not know what they're doing again. Um, you know, the Department of Transport has been telling us that amber countries are just, you know, the sort of middle of two tiers, and uh, the Department of Health and and Downing Street say, well, amber means warning, and you shouldn't be doing it unless you absolutely have to. Uh, don't waltz off and see your friends um, in these amber countries. Um, it's not difficult to have a concerted line and ask people to stick to it. The problem was there wasn't um, an agreed line um, and nobody did. And it was, I think it was Simon Hart, the Welsh Secretary, was in this very studio yesterday saying that, that um, for some people going on holiday was essential. They really needed a break. And that, maybe that was justification enough. It does seem like they've had about six different positions on this in as many... Uh, yeah, well, I think a hours. lot of people feel that. You know, holidays are one of the things that I'm certainly most looking forward to. Um, and it's something, you know, people... You know, toil and work for the opportunity to get away. Um, And it's not doing people's mental health a lot of good. Um, And it's quite an important thing. And I think, you know, uh, certainly Boris Johnson understands that. Um, uh, And and Grant Shapps, who's got the travel industry on his back the whole time, is is trying to keep things flowing as much as possible. But, you know, we are in what appears to be a little flare-up of danger here. Um, And it's it's difficult. Um, uh, there's a danger for the government that they're going to throw away a lot of the political gains that they've made over the last few months. What's been, what's been your reading of this, of the, the threat of the Indian variant? And Because uh, we've talked a lot of it this week about how Boris Johnson feels, you know, it's a different Boris Johnson now to the one 12 months ago. Actually, the erring on the side of caution, while all the signs, we've been talking about the Indian variant for a week now, and all the signs are it's not having an impact as yet in terms of hospitalisations and deaths. Uh, how how worried are people in government that you're speaking to? I think they look more worried in their eyes than uh, the words that come out of their mouth um, because they know that if this becomes the dominant variant and it takes off, we are still a very long way from having a majority of the population um, fully vaccinated um, and that's what they're ultimately going to need um, uh, in order to be more blasé about these things. Um, I think um, 
you know, on the face of it, yes, people aren't dying and people aren't going to hospital, but a lot of people are getting ill and taking time off work and, and spreading it around. Um, and, you know, the virus will find the vulnerable ultimately. Um, and they know that they want to, you know, sit on this hard and, and hope that they don't go backwards. Um, you know, it's not as dangerous as it was last year with pre-vaccination, but, um, but you know, they look a little bit more worried than, than they like to say, I think. Well, let's see how worried Boris Johnson looks as we go live to the House of Commons and hear for the first question from Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I welcome the Prime Minister's comments on the Ballymurphy uh, inquest and the sentiment uh, behind them? Does the Prime Minister agree that the single biggest threat to hitting the June 21st date for unlocking is the risk of new variants coming into the UK? Prime Minister. I, Mr Speaker, I certainly think that that is... Uh, one of the uh, issues that we must face. But perhaps it will be for the benefit of the House if I update uh, the House on uh, where we are because we've looked at the data again this morning and I can, I can tell them, uh, the House, Mr Speaker, that we have increasing confidence that vaccines are effective against uh, all, uh, all variants, including uh, the Indian variant, to his, uh, to his point. And I, I want particularly uh, in this context to uh, thank the people uh, of... Uh, of Bolton, of Blackburn, many other places who've been coming forward in record numbers, Mr Speaker, to get vaccinated, to get their, their first jabs and their second jabs, uh, Mr Speaker. I think the numbers have doubled in Bolton alone, and I think the people of this country can be proud of their participation. Yeah. Keir Starmer. Oh, a nice short question then from uh, Keir Starmer, and a sort of fairly clear answer from uh, Boris Johnson. I mean, he's right to say that, uh, I mean, it's not the single biggest threat to June the 21st, is it? The... the, the of new variants, it could be people not getting the vaccine. You know, any any number of things could to derail that. But I mean, the big takeaway from that is the news from Boris Johnson. They've looked at continuing to look at the data, uh, and uh, the, he's saying that the government has increasing confidence that the vaccine is effective against the Indian variant. Yeah, I think they've been reasonably confident uh, of of that. The problem is, as Starmer doubtless will go on to to say, you know, some other variants are potentially more worrying. The South African one. Um, you know, I spoke to a minister last week who said if the South African variant was doing what the Indian variant was doing, then the pubs would not have opened on Monday in the way that they did, um, because that does seem to be more immune to the vaccine. And doubtless, I think Starmer's question was designed just to tee up Boris Johnson to, to talk about variants. And he'll say, well, what, uh, I think we'll be moving pretty swiftly on to what are you going to do about the borders then, mate? Well, let's find out. Keir Starmer, is he going to go to, uh, to, to talk travel next? Here we go. Mr Speaker, I think that's a yes, that the risk of other variants coming through our borders is one of the biggest threats to unlocking. We're not just talking about the Indian variant, we're talking about future variants. In those circumstances, why on Monday did the Prime Minister choose to weaken travel restrictions by moving 170 countries or territories to the amber list? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, we have one of the strongest border regimes anywhere in the, in the world. Uh, there, are, there are currently uh, 43 countries on the, on the red list, uh, Mr Speaker. But if you're uh, coming from an amber list country, everybody uh, should know uh, that if you travel to an amber list country for, uh, for any emergency or any, uh, extreme, any extreme reason that you, you have for doing so, you, when you come back, Mr Speaker, uh, and you not only have to pay for all the, the tests, but you, when you come back you have to self-isolate uh, for 10 days. Uh, we will invigilate, we are invigilating it, and uh, people who fail to obey uh, the, the quarantine can face fines, Mr Speaker, of up to £10,000. 
Keir Starmer. Okay, let's just uh, let's just unpack a bit of that there. So uh, Keir Starmer making the point: 170 countries are on the amber list. Boris Johnson says, "Oh, 43 countries are on the red list." Uh, and in terms of the clarity of what you can and can't do when it comes to amber countries, um, whatever emergency or extreme reason you have for going to an amber country, that's the, the wording from Boris Johnson. Pretty clear where Boris Johnson's coming from. And what's more, if you don't stick to your um, isolation when you come back, it's a 10 grand fine for you. And we will invigilate it. I mean, it sounds a little bit like a headmaster going around <laughs> uh, checking up on uh, people's doing an exam, doesn't he? I haven't heard of invigilators uh, for, uh, since I was at school. There's a the, the, the sort of slight whiff of the old uh, sort of TV licensing vans where they're being dished outside. Yes, most of which were just fake. Yes, they? I exactly, think they yeah, just had a sort of a, a bit of old coat hanger on the top and everyone assumed that they could tell and went, went up, rushed and off actually, to... It, to it, was, it was just a list of addresses, I think. Yeah, they had. and they rushed but, off to find up, uh, sign up to their uh, licence fee. Um, I, I mean, if I was Keir Starmer, I have to say, I think I might have read out all of the ministerial positions that they've taken on uh, uh, Amber List so well, there's far. still time, I There think. is still time. Well, let's find out. Let's go back to the House of Commons. Is Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I think everybody would agree that having moved 170 countries to the amber list, absolute clarity is needed about the circumstance in which people can travel to an amber country. Yesterday morning, the Environment Secretary said people could fly to amber list countries if they wanted to visit family or friends. By the afternoon, a government health minister said nobody should travel outside Britain this year and travelling is dangerous. The Prime Minister said that travel to Amber countries should only be where it's essential. By the evening, the Welsh Secretary suggested some people might think a holiday is essential. The government's lost control of the messaging. So can the Prime Minister answer a really simple question that goes to the heart of this? If, it, if he doesn't want people to travel to Amber list countries, if that's his position, he doesn't want them to travel to Amber list countries, why has he made it easier for them to do so? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I think after more than a year of this, I think the Honourable Gentleman would understand that what the public would like to see is some effort to back up uh, what the government is saying, uh, to, to deliver uh, clarity uh, of messages. And, and on his point about legal bans, as he knows, we're trying to move away from endlessly legislating uh, for everything and to rely on guidance and, uh, and asking people do, to do the right thing. And it is very, very clear, Mr Speaker, you should not be going to an amber list country, except for some extreme circumstance, such as the, the serious illness of a, of a family member. You should not be going to an amberless country on holiday, uh, Mr Speaker. I can imagine he wants to, uh, to take a holiday, but you should not be going to an amberless country on holiday, uh, Mr Speaker. And uh, if, you, if you do go to an amberless country, then as I say, uh, we will enforce the 10-day quarantine uh, period. Uh, and if you, if you break the rules, you face very substantial fines. Well, well, some well, first of all, Keir Starmer once again listened to Times Radio and taking up, me up on uh, my suggestion that just reading out the fact that... It, so it was the Environment Secretary, George Eustace, who said um, it was only for visiting family and friends. Lord Bethel was the health minister who said you shouldn't be going on holiday at all this year. Then the Prime Minister said travel should only be uh, when it was essential. And then Simon Hart, uh, the Welsh Secretary, sat in this very room yesterday and said some people would think that going on holiday was essential. However, then some clarity from the Prime Minister, you should not be going on holiday to an amber country. Yeah, but also some bravura politics there, I thought. Um, you know, 
having ha- had this long list of um, uh, his own ministers who can't agree on the same line, Johnson then has a go at Starmer for not getting on board with the government and, and, and <laughs> the, the leader of the opposition should be helping to deliver clarity of message, he said, which is uh, quite something. Um, but, you know, they do get this in their focus groups and in their polling. The Tories can see, as indeed can the Labour Party, that the general public mood is that the leader of the opposition should, um, you know, be sort of... Um, not needlessly point scoring, and this is a national effort and all the rest of it. And, you know, it's a difficult job for Starmer to walk that line, to be honest. But uh, for Johnson to turn around immediately and say, well, you know, you should be on the same page as well is is quite something. Uh, but uh, there's also something about the government has lost control of messaging. If that's the only thing that Keir Starmer can find to... You know, lots of people think the government's done a pretty good job of controlling the vaccine rollout, which actually, is, you know, in the real world matters... Uh, it's a very more. Westminstery argument. It's the kind of thing designed to appeal to his MPs and, frankly, to the media, um, and uh, it doesn't have a great deal of uh, locus beyond that. Yeah, and there is, I do always think slightly with these stories, when the media gets very excited about mixed messaging, then the answer might be for the media to find out the answer and then just stick to uh, what the Yeah, well, the is. media has to deal with all these people on a day-to-day basis, and it is generally <laughs> easier and more pleasant to deal with people who are competent and know what they're doing. And it, it, while it becomes fun for a while to deal with chaos and, and idiocy, um, I'm after a while, it becomes wearing. Um, so the media has a sort of inbuilt bias towards uh, people doing their jobs well. Oh, well, there we are. That's the uh, <laughs> that's a plea for competence from the lobby. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons and Keir Starmer. Starmer, just to speak of that completely swerves the question. The point was, if it's only in extreme circumstances the Prime Minister's work, why make it easier to go? If it's extreme circumstances, why make it easier to go? And, Mr Speaker, let's test it by looking at the consequences. Since the government loosened travel restrictions, 150 flights a day are going to amber-list countries, and travel agents are reporting surges in holiday bookings to those countries. Prime Minister, this isn't just a coincidence. It's because of the messaging. So can the Prime Minister tell the House how many people are now travelling to and from Britain from amber-list countries every day? Well, I can tell the House, Mr Speaker, is that there has been a 95% reduction in uh, travel of any kind uh, to and from this country, and that is exactly what uh, you would expect in the circumstances of this uh, pandemic. Uh, there are 43 countries on the red list, and if you come back from one of those countries, you have to go immediately into, uh, into hotel quarantine. And uh, the reason that we're able uh, to to move forward in the way that we have is because, as I have told the House repeatedly, we are continuing with the fastest vaccination rollout, uh, I think, just about anywhere in in Europe. And uh, as of today, 70%, Mr Speaker, of the adults in this country have been vaccinated. And I think that is a fantastic achievement, and that is enabling us to make the progress that we are. And that's the crucial thing, isn't it, ultimately, from Boris Johnson's point of view. The vaccine rollout is going ahead. Not, very few people actually still are going abroad, and um, not many people are that confused. I'm someone... slightly curious that we had to wait till answer four to, for him to really hammer that point, which, you know, he could, you know, perhaps hammer every single answer if he wished to. Cheryl's just been in touch saying, we have a house in Italy. Yesterday I checked the rules, are we amber countries on gov.uk and realised we could not yet go. No confusion, quite clear, not confused. And that's ultimately the point. And if people are going on holiday to Spain or whatever, 
Uh, then they're going to have to, when they get back, they're going to have to, you know, they've got to pay for all the testing, as Boris Johnson said, to pay for all the testing. Self-isolate. There aren't many people who could afford a week off work and then two weeks up when they get back to isolate after. No, and five, six hundred quid for the tests as well, thrown in. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm not totally convinced that this is, this is gripping the nation in the way that Keir Starmer necessarily thinks, but then... Uh, it, <laughs> I'm not sure he always thinks about necessarily gripping the nation. <laughs> Let's go back and see what he's got to say for himself. Yes, <laughs> That's what I don't know. And the suggestion that in the last... The, the suggestion that in the last few days there's been a 95% drop-off in travel to ambulance countries, Prime Minister, I don't think holds water. And I'm trying to understand the logic of the government's position. We know that new variants are the singest big risk to unlock it. We know that the government doesn't think people there. should travel to ambulance countries, save in extreme circumstances. But the government's made it easier to do so. The messaging is confused and contradictory. And as a result, Prime Minister, this week, many people are now travelling to ambulance countries, but the, co- the government can't say how many or when. Mr Speaker, we're an island nation. We have the power to stop this. Why doesn't the Prime Minister drop this hopeless system, get control of our borders and introduce a proper system that can protect against the threat of future variants of the virus? I'm just going to jump in there. The thing that's curious for me is the criticism of shutting the border to India, which has been spelled out in great detail by most of the papers, strikes me as a better line of attack on Boris Johnson. It's a much better line of attack. I'm surprised we haven't heard it yet. Maybe he'll come to that at the end. But it's, um, uh, yeah, this is, this is, this is the vaccine. This is the one, this is the virus that is running rampant. This is the thing where there was a lengthy delay between Pakistan and Bangladesh being put on the list and Boris Johnson not putting India on the list. We are told, even by people in in government, that, uh, you know, the fact that he was planning to go off and Try and do a trade deal with the Indians and visit their prime minister was was a large part of that decision. Um, you know, I would have thought that was totally played into Labour's usual argument that you know Boris Johnson is putting, you know, Brexit and his own political interests before the health of the nation and all all the rest of it. Um, it, it is odd to me that that hasn't been the spine of what he's done today. Yeah, if the, because it's one of those things where you can see cause and effect, and people can follow that sort of train of thought. If the thing which is threatening June the twenty first is the Indian variant and a political decision taken by the Prime Minister is what brought the Indian variant in and basically threatens your summer holidays, threatens your music festivals, threatens your concert tickets. That seems better than this going round in circles, quoting Lord But it Lord may Bethel. be that Starmer has seen a lot of the polling that says that dredging over the past is not that yeah. popular with the public and that he's better off focusing on what the government does next and, and being wise before the event rather than after it. I have to say, whatever criticism you might make of his sentence construction, uh, Singist Biggle is definitely, <laughs> definitely the highlight of PMQs for me. Um. <laughs> well, let's find out and see if Boris Johnson's got a, a plan to deal with Singist Biggle. Uh, actually, Mr Speaker, I think what would be helpful, I've, I've, I've set out the position about ambulance countries, I think, uh, very clearly, at least, at least twice. Wouldn't it be great, Mr Speaker, to hear the right honourable gentleman to back it up for a change, uh, get it, you know, using, using what authority he possesses uh, to convey the message uh, to, to, to the rest of the, of the country? Actually, Mr Speaker, when you look at the, the Labour position on, on borders, it's, it's hopelessly confused. Last night, I think the Shadow Home Secretary said that they wanted to cut, the whole, cut this country off from the rest of the world, Mr. Speaker, pause all travel, pause all travel, even though 75% of our medicines and 50% of our food actually come from abroad, uh, Mr. Speaker. And it was only, only recently that he was saying that quarantine was a blunt instrument and he'd rather see alternatives. 
Keir Starmer. <laughs> ah, that's ah Boris noise. Johnson enjoying himself. That now. Only, uh, only MPs uh, make. One thing that's worth pointing out. So, the, the sort of good news that we've had of all this is Boris Johnson saying that um, uh, they're increasingly confident that the vaccine works against the Indian variant. That, coupled with uh, Professor Neil Ferguson, the epidemiologist from Imperial College London, saying this morning that there is a glimmer of hope that it's not spreading quite as quickly as first feared. The curves are flattening a little. And also that people are going to get the vaccine. Let's be frank about this. The one thing the government doesn't want to talk about is that there are a large number of people in those communities, in those towns, who have refused to get the vaccine. The second the Indian variant turned up, they're turning up in their droves to get the vaccine. Um, and that's, that's, that's ultimately the thing that's going to um, you know, uh, get us out of all of this, is if as many people as possible get the vaccine. Which is why Boris Johnson's keener to trumpet that than um, uh, talk too much about... Also beginning to have a bit of fun, though, with Starmer, saying, you know, um, talking about how Labour's position is hopelessly confused and saying, you know, whatever authority he possesses, he's sort of building up to a joke about (laughs) Starmer's reshuffle, isn't he? He he said earlier something about, you know, perhaps he needs a holiday. Um, I think those are the sort of two um, uh, clues that we're about to hear some Boris Johnson jokes. We might be about to get to that. And in terms of ideology, the other line a moment ago that really stuck out was we're trying to move away from uh, legislation on everything and you know this you know going from law to guidance and all that and a bit of personal responsibility and cautiously approaching pubs and and all that stuff. right okay then this is it then there's question number six the big finale what is Keir Starmer got up his sleeve Mr Speaker the Prime Minister's just wrong again we've called for a blanket hotel quarantine for months I raised it here three times at Prime Minister's questions the government ignored it every time and look where we are now talking about the Indian variant Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's former advisor had this one right. He said the government's border policy was a joke. This is Dominic Cummings. Our borders have been wide out open pretty well throughout the pandemic. There was no hotel quarantine system in place until February this year, but that's not true. Flights are still coming in from India, and even as the variant is spreading, the Prime Minister decides now is the time to weaken the system even more. It's ridiculous. Finally, Mr. Boris Johnson shaking his head there. I want to raise, I want to raise the appalling rise in anti-Semitism in the last week, and the attacks and the violence we've seen. On Saturday, a rabbi in Chigwell was hospitalised after being attacked outside his synagogue. Many of us will have seen the appalling incident in Golders Green, and the Community Security Trust report a 500% rise in anti-Semitic incidents since the break, outbreak of violence in Gaza and Israel. Now, I know the government is working on this, and both the Prime Minister and I have condemned these anti-Semitic attacks and violence. But we will all know across this House that Jewish communities remain very anxious. So what more does the Prime Minister think can be done to provide the extra support and protection needed to reassure Jewish communities at this really very difficult time? I mean, that's a strange collection of uh, remarks there. Turning his attention to Dominic Cummings, I mean, actually, it could have been quite right for several questions, getting Boris Johnson to distance himself from Dominic Cummings ahead of his hearing at the Select Committee uh, next week. I was just trying to find out what time Cummings is up next Wednesday, because... It's a question that I've asked several times. Because if it's before PMQs, PMQs could be pretty 
uh, what's it explosive? And um, it was last time. It was quite early last time. But the last time he, he gave evidence to a committee, I think back then it was technically supposed to be about science. But I think the expectation is it will be tomorrow. Uh, it will be the morning of, of of next Wednesday. In which case, Keir Starmer will be judged very much by the operation that he runs that day and how clued up are his team and are they across everything. And if it's happening even live, well, you know, if it's if it's still going while Starmer's on his feet. He could be virtually lobbying Dominic Cummings' bomb mows at Johnson live in real time if he gets organised. But what's the political risk in that? Because obviously uh, uh, <laughs> Dominic Cummings' personal ratings are absolutely in the toilet uh, if you look at all the polling from YouGov. People don't like him or uh, have a favourable view of him. I think that's right, but I think PMQ's is, is a sort of bare pit occasion and there are moments where you have to say... It's about getting your MPs behind you, cheering and convincing the media that you're running a good operation and just wounding where you can. And frankly, um, you know, the public can watch the highlights on the six o'clock news, (laughs) but it's a big moment. You know, you think back to previous leaders of the opposition who who sort of fluffed it, um, Neil Kinnock over Westland. um, And, um, uh, you know, I remember William Hague saying he had a difficult time with a couple of things. And David Cameron, you know, tried to lay a glove on Tony Blair over a couple of big things where reports dropped and they weren't what they wanted. And it's it's seen as an occasion and you've got to do well at it. And I think that will be seen as an occasion. Well, then, having sort of dangled the prospect of needling Boris Johnson over uh, Dominic Cummings, Keir Starmer then completely changed the subject to talk about anti-Semitism and, and uh, in the wake of the uh, anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic abuse being shouted on the streets of uh, Britain this weekend. Um, I mean, clearly just an attempt, I would, I suspect, to again draw that line between Keir Starmer and, and Jeremy Corbyn. Totally. I mean, this is where Keir Starmer started his leadership on day one. He stood up and condemned uh, Labour anti-Semitism said I'm different on this stuff and that's a pretty symbolic moment from Starmer to uh, to show that he still means it and you know there has been a lot of stuff this week um, Labour is again you know having conniptions over what's going on in the Middle East um, the instinct of a lot of their party members uh, is not the same as Keir Starmer's and and he is drawing a line in the sand and saying you know this is still what we stand for here um, and while it wasn't the sort of uh, uh, significant gang-busting end to PMQs that you and I might have enjoyed, it may be that that's the most significant thing that happened in that session. I think you could be right, given the, given the rest of it. It's worth reminding uh, you as well that Dominic uh, Raab, the Foreign Secretary, is uh, answering an emergency question on the government's efforts to secure a ceasefire in Israel and Gaza uh, later on this afternoon, so we'll bring you uh, updates on that uh, throughout the day. Let's just go back then. There was quite a lot to unpack from uh, Keir Starmer's uh, questions. Let's just go and see if if Boris Johnson even addresses the Dominic Cummings question or just focuses on anti-Semitism. Well, Mr Speaker, I, I, I share his horror at uh, the outbreak of anti-Semitic uh, incidents and uh, the government has conveyed uh, that message uh, loud and clear to those who are responsible for enforcing the law against hate crime uh, of that kind. But obviously we will continue to work and uh, to support the Jewish community in any way that we can, particularly working with the Community Safety Trust, who do an absolutely outstanding job Uh, in my view, Uh, but also showing as a country and as a society that we will call this out at every stage, Mr Speaker. We will not let it take root. We will not allow it to grow and fester. And in welcoming uh, his remarks, I I may say I think it's one of the uh, most important changes of attitude, uh, or U-turns I should say, that I've seen uh, from the Labour Party in recent times. And I'm delighted delighted that he's he's taking that attitude. I'm delighted that he's taking that attitude now. 
But I think Angela what, this, what, this, country, uh, what this country wants to see, Mr Speaker, is a government that gets on with delivering on the people's priorities, making everybody safe. And it might have been a good thing, Mr Speaker, if he had voted, if he had voted and he got his party to vote for tougher sentences for, against serious and violent sexual offenders, to say nothing of people who commit hate crime. There we are. That's, uh, that's the end of the main exchanges between Keir Starmer and, uh, and Boris Johnson. We sort of covered a lot of ground and yet not very much ground at all, really. Uh, I, I suspect you could be right, Tim Shipman. If we remember that session for anything, it will be the uh, Keir Starmer making a, going very much out of his way to, uh, to make his point on anti-Semitism. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I'd like to have something intelligent to say about the smorgasbord of words that followed it. Um, but I have nothing. <laughs> Anyway, the, the upshot of it all is you can only go to a, uh, an amber country if for emergency and extreme reasons. If your relatives are dying. If your relatives are dying, but when you come back, you will have to self-isolate for 10 days and the, uh, Boris Johnson will invigilate it. He'll be around with it, tapping his pencil on your desk and saying, <laughs> I'll have 10 grand, please, if you disappear. Walking me. up and down in very loud, clip-cloppy shoes, and if he catches you breaking the rules, uh, you'll be fined 10,000. Whip out a calculator, you'll be in trouble. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.